0: Get, Get ready for and chats and some and, some jokes. Jokes and
1: this chats. Week's The Big Blanket Podcast. Good afternoon, morning, evening, night, whenever you're listening to this. It is the Big Blanket Podcast from Picture House at Fact, coming to you from a projection cupboard. And I am a projectionist. I am Alex. And this is. And I do the
2: marketing, I'm Michael, and yeah, the beauty of podcasts, they can move this to at any time.
1: Exactly.
2: Unlike films <laughs> at the cinema.
1: Exactly. So um, we have a special interview coming up. Michael met up with...
2: Roy Bolter and Saul Papadopoulos of Hurricane Films, producers of Terence Davies' new film uh, Quiet Passion and also of Time in the City, Under the Mud and Sunset Song, two of which were also Terence Davies' films.
1: There we are. Fantastic. So before we get onto that,
2: Papa.
0: Well, you must leave here. This castle is alive.
1: Who's there?
3: Do you wish to take your father's place?
1: Come into the light. Jungle Book was very good. Jungle Book was, was very good. Cinderella
2: was very good. How was Beauty
1: and the Beast? Okay, Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> I absolutely loved it. It was a a film full of nostalgia for me. It was um it was this kind of flamboyant, uh, gorgeous film. Um, but it also it kind of adds a lot more stuff as well. It's about it's um It's something ridiculous, like something like 40-odd minutes extra longer than the original. Yeah,
2: I heard they added uh, musicals, uh, songs from the musical to it. There's
1: three more songs in it, uh, and they're all cracking. Mm. Uh, One of our managers here, Dom, he hasn't actually seen the original one, so he wasn't that kind of fussed about watching this, but cleaning the screen, you kind of hear the soundtrack, and Mm. one of the songs, uh, Evermore, was on it, and he was like, that sounds great, I want to go see this film now, because of that one song, which is like a new one. Uh, and he went to see it, and and he loved it. Um, I think I mean there are some of the performances are either over the top, yeah. or maybe slightly wooden, or or something like that. But the kind of there's a whole joie de vivre about the film. Uh, you know, I'm a massive fan of the original, so there's a there is like this, like I said, there's this massive nostalgia trip with yeah. it and so when you know that Be Our Guest is coming up like I felt so excited to see it and it yeah. didn't disappoint it's just beautiful and fantastic and you McGregor's Lumiere has a wonderfully <laughs> French accent yeah his, but,
2: his, his wife's French I right hear that's why yeah. that's why he uh, kind of felt he, he was able to do this Impressive. Well,
1: <laughs> apparently he had to re-record all his voices because when he he first did it, he said he sounded Mexican. Oh no! <laughs> so he had to go back and re-record everything. Oh, wow. But um, it but like you can forgive all that stuff. You can forgive that. Um, you know, Emma, Emma Watson is is a is a classic Belle. I don't think necessarily her singing skills. I think it's like heavily post-produced. Yeah. Post, um, but you can forgive all that stuff because it's, it's just great. a wonderful story and the songs are just incredible. Like, I think Gaston... Do you
2: think they could have just played this over uh, over like a, I don't know, some, like a, a Ken Loach film or something like that and people would... Uh, Think that this is the most beautiful, and, like you know, cremations are always kind of grey and, and sad yeah. and downtrodden. Like if if it was this, would it just totally? If it had the music, would it make it absolutely beautiful? Yeah,
1: like the the music's incredible with with it and stuff like that. And and what was interesting. Like, well, Gaston is one of my favorite Disney songs. It's yeah, it's I was one gonna
2: say, the... Luke Evans is, um, he looks fantastic in this film, and uh, like to play uh, the, the vain character of Gaston well and still, um, like and not just be a stupid looking animated character, but yeah, actually bring that to reality with some kind of challenge.
1: So, so, like, as I said, like, th- there was a there's a extra like 40 odd minutes on the original and what they've done with that they've kind of given a lot more backstory to Belle and her mother and also a bit more kind of backstory to the Beast as well and so the, it, it kind of rounds out their characters a lot more as well mm. but what they do with Gaston like Luke Evans completely steals the show as Gaston. Gaston is just brilliant in this film but there's a really interesting journey with him as well so at the start he's trying to woo Belle yeah. and she kind of like keeps on knocking him back and he he starts to be this kind of like handsome lad. Yeah. And then he, he there's a kind of a slow decrease into this gut, this kind of, Manic baddie. Is he
2: a bit of a a mad stalker, man?
1: In the end, not no, not really. He kind of gets over overwhelmed with this kind of like idea of wanting to marry Belle, and then nothing will stand in his way. But there's a there's a real kind of change in his character. So he's not this kind of like one dimensional baddie from the start. Like he's someone that you kind of quite like at the start in, in this kind of like. Oh. Uh, arrogant and narcissistic way, but
2: then he becomes.
1: And then, but then he kind of turns, and that oh. that those kind of those bad qualities kind of creep into it more. And 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 Lefou. So uh, Josh gathers been quite a lot made about him because he's the first openly gay Disney character. Yeah, yeah. Um, in it, and Lefou is kind of like this, kind of this the henchman and does whatever Gaston wants and all that stuff. But then he sees this kind of. Beast emerging in Gaston and, and and doesn't like it and stuff like yeah. that and it's and so all well, the, and all this like is this, really the, quite the gay chari-
2: the gay character thing I think it that I think that's just a gimmick am I right uh, I mean he's he's that's, open that's like, it's he o- is, it's okay to be gay now yeah so let's um like so m- let's let's use that for marketing purposes. Uh, yeah, I mean, Some of him, he's, he, he's trying to market <laughs> the
1: film. <laughs> I mean, I mean, he, his character is, is is gay, and it's quite obviously gay. But you know, is it obviously gay because we've been told that he's gay? He doesn't have that much of a romantic storyline, so yeah, it's quite yeah. hard to kind of say. But I think the fact that Disney have said this character is gay yeah, it's, progr- is, it's is, progressive it's progressive in, I guess so, and, it's, in and, and it's a stepping I, I, stone I was just into trying to give better. you a,
2: a challenging question um, and <laughs> secondly, secondly so they got the um, they got all the plates and stuff like that and and they've all got faces
1: have you seen the original?
2: like I have like the the <laughs> seapot has a face right? yeah yeah yeah, yeah. What, so it, how, why did they do that for this one? what? did you make the film? <laughs> why, look, so why if it's a, you know, with the um, Jungle Book, they had, like, uh, the tiger had, it uh, looked like a tiger. Or, yeah, like, well, well, no, like, Miss
1: Pot still looks like a teapot, but the the kind of the the painted detail mm. on the china has, becomes animated and becomes her face. Yeah. Same same with Chip. Does
2: everything have a face?
1: Not everything. There's a nice moment where she, um, Belle gets to the castle and picks up a hairbrush and is like, hello, what's your name? And everyone else, will, like, laughs because it's like, it's... That's just, just a hairbrush, yeah. So there's, so there's like, things, so there's things like that. So they they kind of reference it. But so there's certain things that are alive, and that's nice. Um, and they and they kind of bring out some more characters So like there's there's like a duster which has a character who's like Lumiere's like wife or girlfriend or something. yeah. Uh, and, uh, and, hey, um, hey. Yeah, exactly. So
2: a duster is Lumiere's girlfriend. Yeah, and as, she's, as, and she's they, like very. They, they I don't know French maidie. I they guess they probably can't <laughs> go near each other. I guess because he's a fire and they set her on
1: fire. Yeah, although they, they don't play with that.
2: Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I interviewed uh, Saul Papadopoulos and Roy Bolter from Hurricane Films, and they uh, were very kind to give me a lot of time and uh, and speak to me about their new film, what it is, what it actually means to be a producer, and what they actually do to make, help get films made. Um, and they also, at the end, talk about their film, A Prayer Before Dawn, which is really interesting. So have a listen all, all the way to end and uh, enjoy. This is my letter to the world that never wrote to me.
1: You are alone in your rebellion, Miss Dickinson. has. Like a Roman Emperor. Nero. Let's hope he's just as wicked.
3: Dickinson, what of you?
2: What of me, sir?
1: Will you not kneel and give yourself to God?
2: No, sir, I will not kneel.
1: How dare you conduct yourself in such a manner!
2: for me. Hello, so I'm with Roy Bolter and Sol Papadopoulos, who are the producers from Hurricane and producing the new film A Quiet Passion by Terence Davies. How are you doing, guys? Hello. Good afternoon. I've got a
3: hot cup of tea in my
2: hand. Life yes. couldn't be better. Yeah, you've sorted me out with a very delicious prime coffee here. Only the
0: freshest for our VIP visitors, Michael.
2: <laughs> so how are you doing today, guys?
0: Good. We're in the throes of... Um, preparing for the Q&A and screening of The Quiet Passion and the release of the film in the UK. Yes. Uh, it's also kind of been released at the same time in the US, a week apart. So there's quite a lot going on. Terence, as we speak, our director, is in New York. There was a screening last night at the J.P. Morgan Library in New York, and Amazing. he did the QA. and a The J.P. Morgan Library are currently holding the world's largest exhibition of Emily Dickinson artifacts ever gathered in one place so it's a kind of kudos screening and um... yeah,
2: perfect and we've and we've obviously got the the gigantic screening on the 9th of april at fact yeah, absolutely yeah hometown cool.
0: screening is always a, a particular favorite yeah
2: it was it was amazing with Sunset Song. Uh, just the house filled in no time at all like it was it's such a brilliant event and uh, we had frank cultural voice uh doing the q and last time, and he's doing this one as well. Correct. Yeah. So, one thing I'd really like to kind of talk to you both, because I've never really spoken to producers of films before, uh, well, I've spoken to Sol in a less uh, interviewee kind of situation, but could you kind of tell me, wh- where did you guys start, and how did you get into producing films? Uh, well, my background is television,
3: uh, script writing. Sol's background is television documentary making. And we uh, were friends for a long time before those careers as well. We first met when Sol was taking photographs from my band, the farm. Hmm. And the iconic image of the sheep in uh, Kickers is one of Sol's. So that was our first collaboration. Um, And at the time we set up Hurricane, I was... uh, It was in the last days of Brookside. And I knew probably two years before Brookside was finishing... That it's time had come because the way Channel 4 were treating it mm. Sol would start to do short films and interesting stuff and we always said we'd like to work together and that became that became
0: Hurricane Films yeah and then you produced Under the Mud Under the Mud was our first feature yeah. how, how, how was that? yeah that was a very ambitious kind of project as naive young filmmakers we thought um, we'd go out into the community and see if we could write something Collaboratively with a group of uh, young folks and um, it became a labour of love and a wonderful project actually but it took a lot longer than we ever imagined mm-hmm. um, but essentially we went down to South Liverpool to Garston, and, and we did collaborate and write a script with a group of young folks and made Under the Mud uh, against all the odds and without any money whatsoever um, and we learnt a lot by doing that and it is kind of the only way to do things to get out there, roll your sleeves up and you know, put your wellies on and dive in, basically. So we learned an awful lot and things that we would have, you know, liked to have known mm, yeah. then that we do know now.
2: Well, that's the way I kind of think, I go about everything, is just, yeah, trip over until you finally find something to catch on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 And so then you uh, started a, a working relationship with Terence Davies. So how did that come around? Well, Hurricane
0: was formed, Hurricane Films was formed in 2001. So... We've been around a little while, and we've been making some TV productions, um, but we kind of caught the film bug by um, what how it came about was there was a capsule culture year coming up, and the city council, together with Northwest Vision and others, the BBC put together a scheme for uh, the celebrations to include three low budget films, mm. and we pitched for the films with. Uh, the idea of bringing Terence Davis back to Liverpool. He hadn't made a film in eight or nine years. We're big fans of his, you know, I think Distant Voice Voices Still Lives and Long Day and would always be my top ten films mm. of all time. So we um, we went about looking for Terence Davis and where was this missing man?
2: Yeah.
0: And um, trying to convince him to come back to Liverpool to make a film.
2: How, how did you... I, 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 you speak a little bit. I still, I've seen the DVD extras of, of Time in the City and you speak a little bit of how, how you found him. Because you, you photog- photographed his... Mother. A long time ago when I was a portrait photographer I, I took some
0: photographs of him and his mother and he'd remembered that but that wasn't kind of the, the way no. in the way in was actually um, sitting in the, in the old bistro before it became the pen factory the other man bistro and, um, a, a friend of ours I was talking about Terence Davis a friend of ours said oh I've got his contact, do you want it? and we were like yeah. yes we do <laughs> and out of the blue we made a call and told him all about the scheme and the idea of a low-budget film and bringing it back to Liverpool. And he quickly said, no, I've made all my Liverpool films. So <laughs> then we thought that was that. And then we sat on it for a week and then we rang him again. And he tells a story, I think, that he was being driven along the embankment in London listening to Peggy Lee's, the folks that live on the hill. And he had images of the slums of Liverpool coming down as that played on the radio. And his story is no reason not to believe him, is that I ran just as that kind of vision came into his head to say, are you sure you don't want to come back to Liverpool and make a film? And he says, I've got an idea for a film, I've got a sequence, I think we've got a film, let's talk. And i Time in the city came out of that.
1: Yeah, and since
2: then you've made the superb Sunset Song together and now you're going on to uh, the Emily Dickinson biopic, A Quiet Passion, which is what we talked about earlier. Um, so how did that come about? Is, is Terence's idea... Well, it just shows you the, uh, the ridiculous amount
3: of time it takes to make a film. On the back of our time in the city, we'd enjoyed working with him, he'd enjoyed working with us. And we said, OK, what, what's your next project? What do you want to do next? And we, he sort of said what we didn't want to hear, which was, I'd like to um, have another go at Sunset Song, because it was a Sunset Song that had basically ended his career. He'd fallen yeah. out with a lot of people, but he really wanted to make it. We said, OK, that's fine, we'll pick that up, we'll speak to the original producer and we'll try and revive it because obviously it was complicated There'd been public money put into it and um, there was a chain of title that needed sorting. And we said, "While we do that, is there anything else? And he said, well, I've always been a fan of Emily Dickinson. So again, we were like, right, OK, so it's a, um, a reclusive poet. <laughs> it's not exactly box office gold, but OK. So we raised some yeah. money. Got him to write the script, and meanwhile we we started um, working on Sunset Song, and at one point it was going to be a Quiet Passion, then Sunset Song, but Sunset Song actually picked up quite a bit of momentum when the BFI said they would fund it, so it actually gave us more time to develop um, a Quiet Passion, and I'll never forget the day the script arrived. It was Saturday morning, I had the weekend off, same for Sol, We both received the script, and I was thinking. Do I really want to read a um, <laughs> script by a manic depressive about a manic depressive poet who was a recluse? Um, and, and, that was yes. and I started <laughs> flicking through the pages, and actually, what happened was my wife came came in and said, "What are you laughing at?" And I said, "I'm laughing at Terence's uh, Emily Dickinson script <laughs> because it was laugh out loud funny. Yeah, not what we expected." Um, Sol thought exactly the same. It's a great script, you know. Three quarters of it is upbeat and funny and charming, and then the last, well, maybe quarter or third is familiar Terence Davis
2: misery. Mm. So, so your duty as producers is to get the film made, get it funded, yeah, and just get it made. So, what what did it entail with, let's say, a quiet passion? Like, what 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 are the things that you guys had to go out and do to get this in our cinema? Okay, well, uh, it's a cradle to crave kind
0: of job. So the cradle is finding and nurturing the words on the page. So first you want to find a story that you like and people that want to work with, Terence being the case, you know, the point of fact here. We knew he wanted to write an Emily Dickinson biopic, so we went out, raised some development money for it, got that to him so he could spend some time off writing, and he delivered the script that Roy's just uh, talked about. And once we've got the script and he has any ideas for casting, We start to put together what's known in the industry, it's a horrible word actually, the package. You kind of go to the sales agents and financiers and say, we've got this cast, we've got this director, we've got this script, um, have a read, and this is what we think the budget is. So you have the whole, and you do all the markets, you go to Toronto and uh, American Film Market and Cannes and um, London and and various co-production markets, trying to find partners that would fit with the story and the finance that you want to try and raise, mm. so and the challenge, like any film, is to get the best possible profile star you can, because it makes the job of the producer a lot more. You know, yeah, it lubricates that. So, did that do you have a hand up in picking Cynthia Nixon with this one? So Cynthia Nixon, we actually no, we didn't. Yeah. Terence, we said to Terence once we'd read the script and fed back to him how much we'd loved it because it is like Oscar Wilde in in the first part of. The, the story, it's very funny, very sharp, very witty, uh, about this you know great poet who, who needs to be kind of read more. And we said to him, have you got any ideas for the lead? And he said, yeah, I have actually, I didn't, he said, yeah, an audition he did several years ago for a film that hadn't worked out, and it was in New York, and in came a woman called Cynthia Nixon, who he thought a lot about. And he'd been watching her in her role as Miranda on Sex and the City with the volume down. And she was the only one who could act, he (laughs) said to us, and has told her since. Why why, why the volume down? Because her reactions, he he wanted to look at reactions. And uh, that's the way he judged her performance, as well as having met her in the audition. So we kind of went looking for Cynthia Nixon's agent, talked to her agent at um, UTA in New York. And got the script to her, and pleasantly surprised when she said, "Yeah, I'd love to be involved, but you know, it's me. How are you going to raise the money?" Because she knows the world of films yeah, as yeah. much as anybody, and she knows that she isn't a Jessica Chastain or a I don't know who's the hot one at the moment that everyone, you know, Alicia Vikander. Mm. You know, she hasn't got that kind of film profile. So then, so now we had a cast, we had a director, we had a script, we had an idea of budget, and we started looking for the money and sales agent and that's when things all start to feel like you're running through tree yeah. it gets very difficult very quickly uh, we took Tent over to
3: um, after the first draft we took tents over to Amherst, Anna, uh, her hometown in, uh, just outside Boston so that, um, that helped him write the second draft we went to see some locations that we were going to use and eventually did use most of them and then we were just, you know, we were just pl- pounding the payments, looking for the finance. Mm. It was good that his lead had some recognition, because it could have been an unknown. Yeah. He could have easily, because he just, he will not cast using um, established people. He won't cast with an aim to raise the money. He just yeah. doesn't. He just casts for the role, which is the right thing to do. Yeah, artistically, yeah. But unfortunately, in this day and age, you cast to to raise the money, yeah. and we were told categorically if you get Jessica Chastain in the lead role, we will fund the film wow. outright. That mm-hmm. so, but we can't tell Terence he can't have the woman,
2: yeah, the lead yeah, yeah.
3: lead uh, actress who he wants. It just doesn't work that way. So eventually we raised the finance. We um, we had the choice between shooting solely in the United States, or shooting partly in the United States and Belgium, and. We and there was, a, there was a UK shoot at one point that was an option. But it really came to, we couldn't decide between the two. Mm. We'd been over to see cast and crew in both. Um, we'd found a new facility in New England that was absolutely brand new. We'd have been the first production in there. It was a state-of-the-art biggest studio we'd ever seen. Mm. But it came down to the, the uh,
2: Belgians were offering... They've got a, a good tax rebate and there was some local money as well.
3: Not a lot, but enough so. to probably make a difference. And, but it came down to personalities. The people in Belgium seemed to be ready to go. Mm. Uh, we made the decision on Friday. The office was up and running on Monday. We were over in Belgium and it was. I think once we'd made the decision, we really quickly realised that we'd made the right decision because everything was just happening.
1: Will you go with us to church, Miss Buffalo? Of course not. Going to church is like going to Boston. You only enjoy it after you've gotten home. We are to pray for the repose of our late pastor's soul. Doesn't that rather depend on where it's gone?
2: We shall become fast friends. Of course
1: we shall. I'm irresistible. Everyone says so. When the new pastor does arrive, you must point him out to me. So that you too may be saved. No. So that I will know whom to avoid. Don't enjoy your praying too much. It might become habit forming. So we built,
3: we literally built the house in in Belgium. Um, We went over. All the measure took all the measurements, lots of photographs of their actual house because because it's a museum, yeah. we couldn't shoot in there. I think mm. probably we'd have pushed it and let us but mm. obviously it's too restrictive shooting in a real building, especially yeah, one it's yeah. a museum. So our uh, um designer rebuilt that designed and rebuilt the house on a sound stage in Belgium
2: and it what's really odd is that the build when you were on set
3: it had the atmosphere of the house and I don't know mm. how because we've been to the house Actually, the production designer had never been to the house, he'd just seen photographs and measurements, you know, or really detailed photographs, right down to colour shades and, you know, holding up shade charts to walls and...
2: and, uh, In in fact, at the moment, in the uh, new exhibition, How Much of This Is Fiction, we've got a a total remodel, a remake of Julian Assange's room in the... is it the Chile, Chilean Colombian Colombian yeah, assume, uh, embassy yeah, yeah. Um, and it's spot for spot for the pictures and you go wow. in there and it's just surreal Like I got, so imagine walking mm. into a whole house remade by set would just be uh, overwhelming
3: yeah is it Colombian Bolivian? no
2: Bolivian is it? Paraguayan
3: it's, no no it's Peruvian <laughs>
2: that's terrible it's South, South American, American. Really, South American really I being the one from fact, I should be the one answering <laughs> that question Paraguay, maybe. Anyway,
0: the that's one of, um, so yeah, I mean, the Belgium experience was absolutely fantastic, and working with the Screen Flanders and the Flemish crew, and our co-producers Potenkino, you know, who we want to work with again, was was mm. a joy. And I remember, I think it was day four of the shoot, and we turned, Terence turned around to me and Roy on the set and said, "This is the happiest I've been in forty oh. years of filmmaking." And we thought he must be on drugs, <laughs> but he genuinely, genuinely, there wasn't a thing that kind of went wrong. Once we'd yeah. up and shooting, it was just clockwork. It was fantastic. Which, which is a nice
3: contrast to Sunset Song, which was utter misery probably <laughs> <more ugly laughs> throughout. Yeah, yeah. It was you yeah. Know, yeah. great cast, great crew, but the 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 circumstances uh, behind the film, and, and for various
0: technical reasons, it was an absolute nightmare. Was that shot in Lichens? No, in Luxembourg, uh, New Luxembourg. Zealand, for Scotland in the summer, and then Scotland. Okay, yeah. so Thanks. it stretched a tight budget to the very limits and stretched us as producers trying to put you know on the screen what tenants intended
2: yeah
0: it stretched us as well, and everybody so. suffered <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> well that's uh, we didn't we don't see that magic in the cinema um what what, what I was going to say was that how do you pick these locations? Like, do you have someone that goes out? Do you guys go out and find these locations? Because if you're going off to the Netherlands, New Zealand, Boston, obviously it would seem very safe for them, that you'd go to Boston to do it. But then, how do you find Belgium?
0: Well, local local location scouts, lots of photographs. Mm. Uh, Terence has an eye for where he wants to shoot things, and. Um, more often than not, it's not the location; it's the weather that affects yeah. Terence. He's got a certain scenes that he thinks should be shot on a high summer's day because that's exactly how it was when, say, Emily Dickinson died. It was, you know, a very hot summer's day, and <laughs> if you don't have that, if you don't have that sunshine on the day, then that becomes, you know, difficult for the director to kind of revision. This. And um,
2: so, and yeah. this is why I want to talk to talk about um, a prayer at dawn. It's right, a prayer before, a prayer before dawn, dawn. sorry. Yeah. Um, because there you uh, found a Thai prison. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. so the, do you want to tell
3: us a bit story? So, well, usually, location is to do with finance. So we got, um, we managed to raise money in Belgium. So we shot in Belgium. Originally, we were only going to shoot um, interiors, but actually, because the shoot was going so well, the crew were great. Um, the line producer started suggesting other scenes and the first AD was suggesting other scenes that we could shoot in Belgium. Mm. That would save us time and money because it was cheaper to shoot in Belgium. We were showing tennis locations. It was difficult at times to, to convince him, but everything that we chose worked really well, so there was a lot more shot in Belgium than yeah. should have been. Um, with Sunset Song... We raised money in Luxembourg, so we used a studio in Luxembourg. Mm. New Zealand was just because of weather, because we needed uh, summer, and you can't wait around for the weather to change, so we shot uh, autumn, winter in Scotland in spring, and we shot um, summer in New Zealand in their autumn, just at the end of the summer. So that that influences that, but then obviously when you get to the, the, the territory, local scouts will come up with a series of images and we all choose, or Terence will choose, where he wants to shoot. With Prayer Before Dawn, um, again we could have shot in the multiple places. There are places where it would have been financially uh, more lucrative yeah, to yeah. film there, but ultimately uh, we sent the director over, he spent seven months in Thailand finding locations. And the one location they found that actually made the film um, bankable was a, a closed down um, prison. Which they literally shut the door behind them. Yeah, I mean, yeah, set design, it. yeah. Mm. There's not a lot of production design needed because <laughs> it was a working prison that had been closed for a year. The only thing we had to do was clear the jungle because the jungle had started encroaching mm. on it.
0: So what's the story of Pro Before Dawn? Three and a half years ago, a lad knocked on our door called Billy Moore. Looks was a kind of strong, hefty looking fellow with looks like a broken a nose man. and half an ear. And he said, I've written this book, it's called A Prayer Before Dawn, it's about my experiences of being locked up in, in prison, the Bangkok Hilton, as it's dubbed, in uh, <laughs> Thailand for three years. And we thought, okay, scary fellow, we better read it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we read it, and it's a fantastic story. And then we you know, we sat down with him and we said, listen, we'd like to try and make this into something more than a, a book and get the screenplay rights for, you know, and, and get a a screenwriter to adapt the book so then we went out looking um, to one of our mates who's actually a great screenwriter Nick Saltries to adapt the book and got ourselves a script and started looking for a director and it's the story essentially it's a redemption story set in a prison about a lad who goes astray and gets into all the wrong kind of World and drugs, etc., and then turns it all around.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, in a very
0: exotic backdrop, which is a prison in Thailand.
2: Yeah. And now, he, he, he is a person, I think he's now stunt training for like like some Ryan Gosling in Only God Forgives and things like that. Uh, no, worry. no, he was
3: um, before he went to prison. Okay. Oh, he okay. was um, body double. He was the body double for Sylvester Stallone yeah. right. in Rambo yeah. Four. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so, I mean, he, he, you know. He had a drug problem in Liverpool, mm-hmm. went to Thailand, which isn't the, Greek, but the greatest place to escape drugs, no. but turned his life around, was teaching English, was working as a stunt double for Stallone, became friends with him, he had, he had a great mm-hmm. life, then one day he just turned and got back into drugs, wow. ended up dealing, got arrested, and the film covers his time in prison, yeah. um, but you know he, he escaped and actually went back, which was...
0: Which is in the film and he turned his life around in prison we got Joe Cole from Joe uh, Billy Models. Blinders yeah. does an incredible job playing Billy Moore I mean when you see it and when it comes out later in the year hopefully it's not stunt boxing I mean that is real kickboxing mm. Joe Cole threw himself into it and it's the most visceral realistic looking boxing I've yeah. seen he's, yeah. he's in a
2: film called Green Room which, he's, which is uh, really good yeah. He's, yeah. he's fantastic uh, in that. he's kind of well uh, aggressive character he yeah. okay. was just yeah. finishing that as we were preparing for
0: uh, prayer before it's all. Uh, the director, he, he, the director, Jean-Stefan yeah. he's he's all about the real and the visceral and mm. he kind of loved the story from the start and it's very edgy and it is being looked after in terms of its sales by Han- Hanway in London. So mm. Hanway launched the project to the international marketplace in Berlin and the first sale that we made was the US and it was the kind of hot distributor at the moment A24 yeah yeah who bought it he's done so many other great films at the moment including Moonlight uh, uh, Free, Free Fire etc so we're kind of excited yeah. it's you know it, it's it's very different
3: from the tennis Davis films world the difference yeah. Joe is the only non Thai character in the film so right. there's very little dialogue um, part of the scripting process was cutting back all the dialogue and um, a lot of it is improvised um, it's It's a really visceral, edgy film. We're really proud of it. Joe's performance is incredible. And John Stefan, is an interesting director. We got to know him really well. His first film, Johnny Mad Dog, was a sort of festival darling. It did really well. And actually, we were in San Sebastian with Quiet Passion late last year, and Johnny Mad Dog was still screening, which is five years after it was made so it's still mm. out there yeah, brilliant. Um, and it's sort of it's seen as the sort of uh, precursor to um beast of no nation it's oh, the same exactly. kind of story yeah, which yeah. is you know boy soldiers but actually john Stefan went and spent a year in librarian with boy ex-boy soldiers so well, committed director yeah. he spent
2: seven months in thailand Absolutely. as well yeah, yeah. yeah. Amazing. and you
3: know he cast all the prisoners in the film he cast using local gangs and local gang leaders and the people who were um, playing prisoners in that prison had actually saved time there. Yeah. So it was, you know, he came back to
2: the extras. Wow. And That's more, amazing. yeah. So uh, do you know what's uh, next for Terence Davies? Is, is it the Marvel action film that you've yeah. been hoping for? Well, he always,
0: we always say to him, we'd love to do a comedy, maybe. and then we say, but I'd really like to see a Terence Davies chase film. He goes, well, two cars driving very slowly (laughs) (laughs) we're we're on a
3: hiatus now we've done three films back to back with him so uh, I think it was good for us to go out and do Prayer Before Dawn we've got another um, a slate of films with mostly local writers because obviously we've got you know we've got friends who are television writers who really need to to, uh, make feature films so we've got five, six features who are by really successful TV writers making their First step into, uh, into feature film, and it's sort of our USP that we've got great scripts. You know, with mm-hmm. of all the years that we've been doing all those markets that Sol talked about Berlin, Cannes, AFM, we've sort of got a reputation of being a decent production company because we can deal with Terence Davis, mm-hmm. which frankly not a lot of producers can, and we're now sort of building a reputation of having good scripts. So we've got a few that we're really proud of, and you know. Like, but ever, but as ever, it's raising the money. Yeah, yeah.
0: just you need, need investors and yeah, finance and stars
3: and, <laughs> and, and talking all for their
0: own. Yeah.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, our next film will be uh, Triple Word Score, written by Frank cotter Boyce, first-time yeah. director Carl Hunter, and starring Bill Nye. Constantly. That's our that's our next
1: oh, one. You told me, yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: and yeah. that will be shot on Merseyside, yeah. which will be our first yeah. film since Under the Mud in two thousand and three. So we we'll to be shooting a feature film for the first time here, rather than jetting off all over the place. Yeah, that should be nice. Look we'll forward
2: to that. Well, thanks very much for talking to me, guys. You're uh, this has been a lot of fun and really insightful. Great. Well, thank you, there, Roy and Soul. Uh, they were amazing. They, um, I really liked the sound of that prayer before dawn film and. Uh, terence davies and a quiet passion coming here very soon it's the third film they've worked on together I i think they pretty much know what they're doing by now reviews have been great and we've got our very special q a screening here on april the 9th sunday april the 9th uh with terence davies in a question and answer session exactly
1: yeah so and when's that on the 7th of april
2: it is the, the 9th of April. The 9th of April, 9th of April, April. but it's Sunday, it, the 9th of April. It
1: quite a passion. Opens oh, it's on the 7th of yes,
2: April. it does. There we are. Thank you for listening, everyone.
1: Goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to films and chats. Watson and fans and chats. Well, I like it. Week's it
2: tonight, the Big Blanket Podcast.